0: Alexi is a professional off-road cyclist competing in the Lifetime Grand Prix Series this year, with only one event left, Big Sugar, in Bentonville, Arkansas, coming up this month. He's sitting in second in that competition. It was a great time to check in with Alexi. Alexi's not only a great athlete, but also a great ambassador for the sport. He always seems to be around to share a smile or a laugh after some of these big events. If you don't know him for his professional cycling career, you may have also seen him with a dog on his back riding a bike. Yeah, we'll get into his relationship with Willie and what type of terrain Willie likes to ride. I'll give you a hint. It's the off-road kind. Before we jump in, I need to thank this week's sponsor, Athletic Greens and AG1. I've been using Athletic Greens for many years now, and I like to refer to it as my nutritional insurance insurance. I don't always have the best diet, and it just gives me a baseline of some of the nutrients and minerals that I need throughout the day. One tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more, all that work together to fill those nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid with digestion, and support a healthy immune system all without the need to take multiple products or pills. This is what I think I really love. It's simply every morning I have a routine, I get a scoop of the powder, put it over ice and water, shake it up, get some hydration in, get all those nutrients and vitamins in me in one fell swoop. Again, on days where I go deep on the bike, sometimes I'll do a second glass. I know for me, I start to feel sort of just run down and drained and I I don't have the luxury of sitting back with my feet up after a ride. I often have to jump right into enjoying my son and caring for him. So I love just being able to top off and make sure I've got my recovery. Athletic Greens is offering a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs to all my listeners with their first purchase. Simply visit athleticgreens.com thegravelride the gravel ride and join health experts, athletes, and health conscious go-getters around the world who are making a daily commitment to their health. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash the gravel ride and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. With that business behind us, let's jump into my conversation with Alexi. Alexi, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
0: I feel like this is a long time coming.
1: Yeah, since what, two years almost now?
0: Yeah, exactly. I remember when we met at Grodio, I had asked Neil Shirley about... You know, just who was going to be there and who I might talk to. And he's like, here's Alexi. He's the fastest guy in gravel you don't know about yet.
1: Yeah. I think Neil believed in me maybe before I believed in myself, but I think that was my Grodio Strava KOMs were the beginning of my success.
0: <coughs> Put you on the radar, but you've been on the radar for a long time. So I, I always start off the podcast with just getting a little bit about your background. So why don't you tell me, tell us where you're from and how you got into cycling and then ultimately let's Talk about that journey into gravel and MTV territory.
1: Yeah, I'll try to keep this somewhat short. If we start at the beginning, I probably, I started in like kids triathlons. My mom was doing them, you know, as with any cyclist, I feel like hated this swimming portion. You just like get to the get to the run and bike and they're like, okay, let's go. This is fun. Ran with my helmet on, my first triathlon. That was cool. Amazing. But yeah, it just kind of transitioned to my love of just going fast and pushing boundaries, right? I think I was 12, 11 at that portion and uh, my grandfather immigrated from Holland, actually grew up racing. And when he immigrated to Canada, didn't really continue. He did a lot of riding, but that kind of caught on at some point when I was doing triathlons. I remember this very vivid ride. I was on like a 24-inch wheel trek, and we did a, like supposed to be a 30-mile ride, became 60, you know, and like completely bonked 10 miles to go. And like the entire last 10 miles, I would like fall back into his hand. He'd give me a push and I'd spin as hard as I could, you know, for a minute and a half. But I think like as I grew up, and started doing other sports. I did a lot of things, played hockey, played soccer, cross country, it eventually in high school fell to cross country and cycling. And I was, I think, somewhat naturally gifted, just I enjoyed endurance and pushing myself, but it just became a a choice between the journey, right? Like cycling took me to new places. I got to go to Vermont to reach a mountain stage race. I got to travel, we did family weekends. Did you live in great. a
0: community? Did you live in a community that sort of embraced endurance athletics? Where were you? So I grew up in Michigan.
1: Yes, Okay. good good job. You're good at this. Yeah, No. <laughs> I grew up grew up in Michigan, born in Memphis, Tennessee, but grew up in Michigan since I was two years old. And that's kind of like, I think, just where I was. Ann Arbor, about an hour south of Detroit. It's just it's a big community for the Midwest, at least. It was a big Ann Arbor Velo Club was there and definitely like, you know, had the Tuesday crit practices. Like there wasn't a, a pathway. Wouldn't say there was many kids my age, but there was definitely like I remember I hear stories now about guys come up and talk to me and they're like, Oh yeah, your dad used to drop you off at the local school and just say, Don't let him get dropped. I'll see you guys at the other end. But I didn't know that, you know. I was like, Oh, I'm on this alone. I'm twelve years old. Ah, look at all these guys, you know. So there definitely was, maybe not, maybe unbeknownst to me at the beginning, but I dude I there's a lot of hard Midwest guys that come out because yeah. you don't I realize that even when I go back, you can't stop pedaling. Colorado, I'm like, Oh, I got a three hour ride, I'll climb for two hours and descend and coast down. Michigan, you got three-hour ride. You're pedaling for three hours.
0: Yeah, it's so. I was talking to someone about this the other day. It's so different. Like even in California on the coastal range here, I mm-hmm. get a lot of breaks where I'm not pedaling. So when I go somewhere where I actually have to continue to turn the pedals for four hours in a row, I'm absolutely crushed.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big deal. I, yeah. Every time I go back, I feel like I bonk every third ride. Probably my issue with not eating, but mm-hmm. another story. But yeah, so it just kind of continued. Probably sophomore year high school was like that deflection point. I won nationals, which. I always say somewhat lucky. Obviously you can put in the work, but there's also 10 other guys doing it at a minimum. And that kind of gave, opened up the financial side of it for my parents where the national team covered some of the, and I got to go to Europe when I was 16, racing age 17 at the time. And European racing just fit me, man. I like, I loved it. The kermes style all out, just like if you're not in the front, you're in the back. I just like, it was everything I had dreamed. I remember I went over there with like 700 euros spending with my parents and like came back with like 1400, like doubled it. And I was like, oh, this is great. And just like, it was the first moment I remember like, not thinking this is my career, but like, like oh, I want to push harder because this is really freaking fun. And it's also, you get to be in Europe, right? Your kids are, your friends are back at high school and you're like, You know you skip three three weeks you go home but that trip that was supposed to be three weeks at kermessis turned into going to the world championships in copenhagen because i did well and so that kind of opened up this whole pathway to actually having a chance at something after uh juniors so that was the world championships in copenhagen 2011 you know got to race with guys that i grew up watching cancellara cavendish all these guys race up the same course i did a day earlier which is just like there's no words for it right like when you grow up dreaming of something or like watching random videos
0: yeah. And unless you've observed or watched one of these things, you just cannot understand like the spectacle of having no. everybody racing with their country flags on their bodies, yep. no trade teams. Like it's just such an yeah. amazing experience. I, I love and I've had the good fortune of going to two world championships to watch and it was mm-hmm. just electric, both of them. Yeah. It's,
1: it's unbelievable. And I think it's like, it's yeah. Something I'll never forget. I'm kind going to put me on a pathway and to fast forward this, you know, in cycling, there's a couple jumps, right? There's under 23, so when you when you're 18 years old, jumping into the next category, which is a four year category, but that also coincides with in the, pretty much everywhere college university. And so I made a little pact with my parents, like, hey, if I have offers from one of one or both of the two big teams in the U.S. at the time, which were Live Strong and BMC, which is coming on, that I could def- still apply but defer college for at least two years to that contract and see what I could do. I was fortunate enough to have an offer from both and ended up choosing BMC because I just loved the racing in Europe and they were had a schedule that primarily there. And I just, it just kept growing. Like, I feel like this, that first year on BMC, you know, you're not making much, making 15 grand or something, but you're, you're 18 years old, you're living in Europe with your best friends. And it was the first time I was like, wow, you can make this your job. Like, that's like, where can this go? What, yeah. what can I do? And three years on, I was lucky enough to get an email from, from Lotto Yumbo, and, you know, it kind of. Transitioned and became the job, and it was that moment where I like had completed this USA Cycling pipeline, and I was like, okay, so what's next? You know, I signed yeah. this big contract, and I was, I was stoked. You're 21 years old, and it's what you have dreamed of your whole life, in a sense. But also, felt like I like, okay, so am I doing this for 15 years? Am I doing this for 10 years? Like, yeah. it was such a, I questioned a lot of it. Right?
0: Were you? Uh, I mean, presumably in those BMC years, you were. Forced to live that professional lifestyle and make start to begin to make significant sacrifices to continue progressing.
1: Yeah, I think BMC was lucky because you got to see it also, right? So we were the development team right underneath the pro world tour team. You know, you got to watch guys like Brent Walter, who's American, and Larry Warbass go through their version of it, right? Like help you kind of pick, hey, if I actually move, if I actually make this jump, where do I want to live? Do I want to live in Nice? Do I want to live in Drona? And kind of see. Before you had to deal with it, see the struggles and see the positives of racing at that level. But yeah, like it, it just came down, you know, once I signed that contract, I just, I wanted more and more and more. And it was this weird feeling of like, unless you were winning, you couldn't make, you couldn't do more. You couldn't make an impact on sponsors or people or community.
0: This is at, at the, then the jumbo team at this point.
1: Yeah. yeah sorry. So two years on. And I loved it, right? You get to race these, like we all dream of like Liege, yeah. best on Liege and Lombardia, Dauphiné, right? Pretty yeah, it's probably somewhat
0: team. lost. It's probably somewhat lost on the listener. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, it's you're somewhat good. lost that that is, that's the big time, right? Yeah. You're you're on, I mean, everybody knows it now, but it's the, one of the biggest and best teams in the world. Yeah. and You'd sort of made it there. Obviously, yeah. like it continues to be a journey when you're a Neo Pro and you've got your first year in these big Pro Tour teams. But I think you were just getting into sort of this idea of, okay, now what's my identity? What's my role in this big organization in the biggest league in the world?
1: Yeah. And even in life, to be honest, right? You're 21 years old. I honestly, I think if I, in hindsight, probably would have given myself my last year in under 23s, but like you, when you take a chance, like you don't turn down. Like at the time that I went, it had been almost three years since an American had gone to the world tour. So it's one of those things that like, when is the opportunity? If going to come again. And like, you're just young, right? You learn everything. Like I remember my first moment, I I chose to move to Girona and I just, I got a a key mailed to me and I'm like, Google translating the back of a taxi in Spanish. Like, I think it's this address. I'm like getting out, trying, it's like nine o'clock at night, it's dark. I'm like trying to find the lock, like eventually find where I'm going. And there's like life experiences at the same time that, you know, back to not going to school. I like kind of feel like I was educated by the bike. Like I learned a lot of like life balance I don't know, just maybe not directly academic, but I learned a lot about myself in in that time. And it kind of just transitions into when I was racing at the top level, what what is next? What can I do? What do I want to do? And I remember, you know, you kind of mentioned it quickly if I wanted to go to mountain bike or not, but like, I remember thinking like, okay, I can continue doing this, maybe get better, right? Because that's 21, 23, but like, I didn't, I wanted to be a GC rider. That's what I'd grown up doing. And I kind of felt like I wasn't good enough in a sense. Like, you never know, you're young, but like, I was like, there's a lot of work to be done here to be able to climb like Andy Schleck or anything that I watched growing up. Right. And so just, you know, in 2018 was like, I kind of want to just go send it and see what happens. And I was good enough at the business side of it, the connection side that I had relationships with Bianchi and kind of took a lot of the sponsors I had on Lotto to back into the US and said, Hey, I want to try this mountain bike thing. And very quickly realized that the World Cup mountain bike is the exact same as what I was doing, just different bikes and wider tires. But gravel is growing. And so I, you know, I was trying to figure out where I belonged and my identity had kind of changed. But that was the beginning of what I'm doing now, which there's things I miss,
0: but I don't have any regrets. It's it's really cool to see what's growing in the US. Yeah, no doubt. So you to just unpack it a little bit. You move yeah. over, you get a, you get what it may be easily described as a privateer program with Bianchi. You start trying the mountain bike thing, but discover it's, it's sort of emotionally and maybe sim- physically similar to what you've just been going through in the world tour. And leaving the world tour, you were looking to do something different and have a different relationship with your vocation as a professional cyclist.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think the biggest thing was that I, I wanted to actually positively impact either the companies I worked with or individuals community around me, right? Like athletics of any kind are very selfish. You have to be selfish on some level to, to grow as a person, as an athlete, but on the world tour team, you know, you have 28 riders and you have these companies paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to be a part of this team. And rightfully so the team wants one answer, not 28 different answers and i felt like well there's 8 of us here who can actually make an impact on this company that's giving a lot of money to this team yet you're blocking it so i felt like there was kind of a a backup or like a flaw in the system yeah. and not that i was the only one that ever saw that but i was like i actually like the portion off the bike as well i like enjoying and talking like it's not exhausting to me i enjoy you know being a human and talking through things hey this worked this didn't or like Let's figure out how to do this better. I'm up for due to that content, you know? And so I saw that gap kind of existing in the U.S. as things grew, but I don't think I ever thought it would grow into what it is now.
0: Yeah. And was that sort of just timeline-wise, was that the beginning of the pandemic that you had done your mountain bike thing and you were going to transition into gravel that 2020 season? 2019. I had one full year. 2019, I did okay. a good
1: schedule, mostly mountain bike, almost all mountain bike. But I did I like Belgium wall ride San Diego and flatted out of and like, I was definitely... That year, and even with my coach, we were all just like, let's just go test events this year and see what happens, you know? I had to convince my parents I wasn't being an idiot. But other than that, it was easy. And it's just like, it was fun to start to build those relationships that we talk about now, right? Like, I pride myself on not ever burning a bridge and, like, being able to go back to anybody. And, like, I feel like I talk to companies I've worked with in the past, even just as a consultant nowadays, which, like, is kind of just cool to me. Like, I enjoy, like, this is doing well. This is not, like... You know, it's just such an interesting space to be in right now.
0: Yeah, it really is. And the, I think the athletes that can articulate feedback about the product and the experience or even the vibe that companies are trying to create, that's gold, right? That's where you want to be spending your money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's a battle, as you know, like trying to figure out advertising is such an interesting thing, especially in sport, because sport is hard to quantify. And like the way I, I mean, like not to give away my secrets, but the way I kind of pitch this thing is, an athlete is it has to be at least three parts, right? You have to validate equipment on some level. And so that doesn't mean you need to win every race, but you need to be up there validating a new bike, a new set of wheels, a new handlebar. Like, does it work at the highest level? Why does it work? But I think that's, you know, 30% of it maybe. The other part is just being a face for a brand. We should talk about vibe. Like it means like, you know, not having some sterile company with a tent at an event, like talking through things, real life shit, having a dog, right? Like Willie has been such a, we make jokes about it, but just such a, a conversation opener when you're just saying like, who, we all want carbon wheels. We're all buying them every day. You no. Know? So how do you just be a person? And the last is the internal feedback, right? That it just takes time and you have to work with a company for a long time for that to actually be beneficial, right? I think people are like, oh, Alexi had that bike a year before it launched. So he put all the feedback in. Dude, and I had feedback that'll affect the next generation of that bike, but it's so far in advance that to truly positively impact a company, you have to be involved really early on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I think if you put all those together, that's the full athlete, you know, doing well in the U S and privateer.
0: And it seems like one of the things you recognized was this idea that, you know, you will be required to create content as an athlete in this new space. And you took a very proactive vision on what that content was going to be and how you were going to show up.
1: Yeah, I tried to. I mean, I think it's especially now, like you look at a race like Unbound, I feel like there is almost more videographers than racers sometimes, <laughs> right? It's kind of and content for content's sake is the bane of my existence. Like I, I I hate to be and like even the way you and I just chatted before we started this podcast, like I struggle with podcasts that just jump in and say the same thing the entire time. Because yeah, if you have an if you have an agenda and you ask me the exact same questions I talked about last week on a different podcast it doesn't benefit anybody, right? It's just content for content's sake. It's not that it's not going to be listened to, but you could go to some other channel and listen to the exact same thing. Unless, you know, you give me the option to talk through things and figure things out and open up what I want to get to as well. So I think that's the same thing with what I took into content. I was like, what do I enjoy in this sport and why did I change what I'm doing? It's not that I was the best world tour rider. I was very far from it, but I have a, an experience at a different level. And... I enjoy the relationship. So I was like, that's what is interesting to me. So i just focused a lot on any content I can. I want to be about relationships and how this works. You know, like my relationship with Neil and Envy, like that's what's interesting to me. And then the humanity of the sport is what actually draws people in or inspires and motivates more than the next, hey, the whitest wheel set. Because that's, yeah, you can
0: find that on the web quick quick follow-up on your dog since not everyone is familiar with willie although they should be just describe willie and why he's got a little (laughs) bit of notoriety in the cycling world these days yeah willie's probably the
1: fastest fastest known dog in the cycling world no but he's a long-haired miniature dachshund looks like a mini golden retriever if you're trying to picture it and early on in the pandemic i started riding with him when my girlfriend did runs and he just loved it and it's kind of just grown i mean he's done rides as long as seven hours. He gets out, goes to the bathroom, gets back in the backpack and we just ride. But he's like, you know, you got his shoulder over his head, over one of your shoulders. And it's kind of like, it's great as a training partner also. Like I'll go ride three hours and come pick him up for an hour at the end. And I don't have to talk to anybody, but I kind of have someone there with me, like a little training partner and no one yells at you on the bike path. So it's a win, win, win.
0: (laughs) Does Willie have a preference between road riding and gravel riding?
1: Uh, he probably likes gravel more in Colorado because he loves prairie dogs. He loves like, you know, hunting from, from up high. He's actually most into mountain biking, which I try to like ride trails before I take him there. But like, he knows when the goggle, he hates the goggles, but he knows when the goggles go on, it's like, it's, there's going to be branches in this face. It's going to be time to focus. And he just like, he gets all four legs up on my shoulder, like a parrot. And just kind of like, if there's someone in front of me, he is just like, his head is probably three or four inches in front of my face. And just like, he's trying to just like, we have to get back to them. He just, I think he just loves the interactive nature of it. So I don't take a mountain biking that often. It's probably his favorite.
0: So podcasting is not the medium to really enjoy Willie in, but I encourage the listener to follow you on Instagram because I, I love it. Everybody loves it. Willie's a hero. Yeah. <laughs> he, he makes everyone
1: smile, which is a goal in life. So it's good.
0: You also seem to have linked up with someone who is your is your frequent videograf- videographer partner. And that yeah. seems like to be like a really interesting relationship to give us insight into your Your comings and goings and your career and your successes and your failures
1: yeah so that's that's funny so like this is that was something i started last year so avery stum like he does all my almost all my photo and video that's not through another company and even if it is we just started he dm'd me when i was back racing iceman one year which is a big mountain bike race in northern michigan where i grew up and we've just kind of weirdly just been on the same path he moved out to, to boulder about three months after i did and i think we both have an understanding of what the other's job is to get done right i think there's a lot of cyclists who just expect hey this car and video this photographer will follow me and just take pictures but like that's not it's not that easy right it's back and forth and hey this is the great this is the gap and it's annoying at times and then the same as he understands i have to get work done right so he'll just come hey i'm gonna go out in the car with you for four hours am gonna ask you to turn around six or seven times but like so we're able to create really cool content because we both are just in it because of our friendship less than money. If I were to like, like, I've had people ask me this year, like, Oh, what do you pay Avery? Pay him hourly. I was like, are you kidding me? That guy works more hourly with me than I think I could ever pay him in my entire life. But it's more because it's friendship, right? It's something that just, the relationship is the reason that we work together, not anything else. And so this year going in, I was, that was kind of the goal is I was like, I went to companies and I was like, Hey, I, I want to try to bring Avery to all of the races because to me, first off, you'll get pictures right after the race, which every company wants if you go do well. But more importantly, I want to show the relationship side of this. Right. And a really good example of that is if anyone's, we made a video at Belgian waffle ride that I won this year in San Diego, but there was a moment in there about two thirds of the way through where the person I had feeding me just it's kind of shit the bed that day. It's kind of struggling. Sometimes you just aren't on the same wavelength. They keep missing you. They don't see your Jersey, whatever it is. And Avery literally just stopped filming and handed up two bottles, which was like, I would have dropped out of the race. Very honestly. And that kind of like moment, that's a relationship thing, right? If I'm paying someone to take pictures and videos, they're gonna do that till the end of the day. But the relationship side of him knew, hey, my friend is struggling. Right. Feeding is more important than yeah. filming right now. And I will always cherish that because that's what matters more and that's what moves the, the world go that's what makes the world go round. Yeah. Um, when you
0: when you were structuring your sponsorship agreements for this year, were you did you specifically carve out like a dollar amount for him and say, this is going to him to make sure he can get everywhere with me. It was hard.
1: Concepts proven are easier to sell, right? So this year I would say I spent I spent a good amount of my own money getting in places because I, I believe in it, right? And so if anyone's yeah. interested, like we have a YouTube channel, just so like Alexi and Avery, which I think we've had, I think it'll be at the end, like 18 videos this year. but. So I had, you know, a couple companies that I think believed in what I was doing, sign on, you know, like Envy, for example, Neil was like, that's great that we need this this is perfect. We want to add humanity to what we do already. And there's other companies that were less excited about it, because the thought process and cycling has always been we want to pay for this direct photo shoot, not for this like big ambiguous yeah. season. But I think also everyone this year has come back. And now next year, I've kind of stipulated it for everybody like, hey, if we're working together, I really need to ask you to put a percentage of like, I've pretty much said. A percentage of my paycheck you need to add in on top of to pay for Avery to come to races because you've all benefited from it this year. And if you haven't, then you need to show me where you didn't because it's just such a organic way of doing things, right? When it's more about the relationship of it and everyone's included. Yeah. It's it's just fun. Like I took I took Avery and our friend Trafford. We had two videographers at Sea Otter and it was a blast, right? It was the three, t- two of us and Willie hanging out at the biggest event all year, right? Like just, I don't know, like it, it, the bike race is the smallest portion of it. And that is, it's the biggest portion of my life, but it's, it's matters least. It's just the vehicle, all of us to go hang out at events and the community of it is what has growing what I'm a part of right now.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. I think for the outsider, just to understand gravel, it's not about who, every section of the race and who's winning. It's about the overall experience. It's the pre-rides, the shakedown yeah. rides. The post ride hangout—that's what makes it so magic. Yeah, and it's, like it's intoxicating,
1: right? Like I think that is the coolest thing. I had a, I had a quote the other day about you know at some point in every race, the winner of the pro race is going to struggle just as much as the person finishing last, and I think that's beautiful, yeah. right? Like we're all riding on the same course and taking on these things, and it's just it's just about the different journey, right? The struggle is going to be different whether it's mental or physical or mechanical. But in the end, we're all going to send up, end up sitting in the same place. And that is something
0: that never existed where I was at the road. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want to get a little bit into the Grand Prix. Yeah. But along those lines, the Grand Prix, I mean, I think people, listeners are going to know it's part mountain bike, part gravel racing, as we think about it. When you, just to follow up on the sponsorship thread, as you designed your season, being aware of the Grand Prix and the requirements of having both a, a gravel bike and a proper mountain bike to race these races. How did you kind of figure that all out? Because I think you had alignment maybe with a gravel bike set up and maybe the mountain bike was like, oh shit, where am I going to get one of those? Yeah. No,
1: I think it's also, again, to start relationships, right? It's easy to to leave the sponsorship thing and say, oh, look at this. This company has all, all the bikes I need and this company doesn't. But to me, longevity at a company matters more than getting what you need. If I have to go buy a bike, I'm willing to. But I was lucky enough to structure it. So I ride road and gravel bikes from Envy, which is cool because it's just a past relationship I've had since I left the road. And I signed on with Factor for Mountain Bikes, which it's funny because both of those companies launched their bikes for the first time this year. So it's been a chaotic year, but it's cool. I mean, that's the also the beauty of this is I feel like both companies in a weird way gain from knowledge that I learn of launching bikes on both sides, right? And even if they're not the exact same discipline... And it's a yeah. weird defined space there. It doesn't really exist sometimes. I think I love that people can understand that. And as long as it's like written down and talked about, nobody feels like they're losing out because it's just, a, it's about growing the sport more than selling bikes all the time. And how does the Jukebox
0: team fit into all this <laughs> equation?
1: Yeah, so I got a complicated setup this year. Yeah, so Jukebox is a printing company in Vancouver. You know, stickers, business cards, you name it, posters we will have many Willy stickers to come. If you're wondering, <laughs> but no, they Laredo, who owns the company kind of wanted, he has an amateur team in Canada and he wanted to grow this, like the community side of it. He supports Israel cycling Academy on the world tour stage, but he had this idea of, Hey, how can you tie athletes together with a title sponsor? Right? So we all have, if you look at someone like Phil Guyman is quote unquote on this team, pretty much the only sponsor Phil and I have the same is jukebox and Phil's not racing. And I'm very race is racing focused right now but the goal is that you kind of have this traveling community that fits into all disciplines that you couldn't find the corners of without alienating anybody. So I think there's five or six people now, all from different backgrounds.
0: And is there any sort of I mean, are you guys connected in any meaningful way? Like do you do you train with Dylan Johnson here and there?
1: Not really train cuz we all live in different places, but like you like Big Sugar, we're all going to be in the same house. Just yeah doing photo stuff and hanging out. And I think it's been hard to, with COVID, like as COVID was still tailing off, like get everyone together. Cause I think that's the goal. Like there's a lot of talk of getting one together in, in Canada and, you know, doing a training camp and things like that, which I hope happens next year. But this year it was very much focused on these guys are racing. You know, I've seen Dylan and Ashton and Adam at every race because we're all doing the Grand Prix and that's how it goes. And then I've seen, I haven't seen Phil once this year, but hopefully that changes, you know? And then there's also people like, you know, there's downhill and cyclocross racers that I will probably never see because I don't do those things.
0: Maybe sea otter, you know? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Sea otter, hopefully. But yeah, it's been weird, but I've actually enjoyed it because you, the non-endemic side of the sport is like when I talk about enjoying the business side and figuring out relationships, it's where it becomes more fun because it takes work and homework to
0: actually figure out how to actually benefit that company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So onto the Grand Prix, I mean, presumably you found out about this towards the tail end of last year, and getting an invite to participate in the series was a big commitment. Obviously, there's six races on the calendar, half mountain bike, half gravel bike. It was really going to have to take the sort of cornerstone position in your calendar, I presume, for the year, if you were going to intend on being successful. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the Lifetime Grand Prix has been kind of – I probably went into it a little more relaxed than I should have. I was excited about racing it, but also cognizant of how it can kind of, it's a long season and mentally it can really drain on, drain you. So, you know, going into sea ladder is probably a little undercooked and like kind of focused on just building throughout the season and being as consistent as I could. Back then in April, I was like, oh, I think you can finish top 10 in every race and finish on the podium. I don't think that's true. I think it'd be more consistent than that. And I also don't think anyone ever thought Keegan was going to be as dominant as he has been. and if in hindsight, I probably would have tried to peak a little more for different races, but I've had this thought process of just being very consistent throughout the year, not really peaking for anything, just trying to be fit and be mentally, have a lot of mental freedom to, to not feel like I'm ever pressured. And okay. so from, I didn't start racing until April, cause that was kind of the goal. I did one race in Michigan, Barrier Bay before Sea Otter but otherwise was pretty much very fresh. And then throughout the year, I've probably taken almost a month off the bike throughout the year, just finding that balance between things, right? Maybe it's not yeah. always off the bike, but not worrying about training. You know, 10 days before Leadville, went to watch my girlfriend compete in the Commonwealth Games, which was incredible and maybe lost me half a percent. But like mentally, I had this space to go from Leadville straight into like this very different block to get ready for the final races. And I think that's the biggest thing about this is I've throughout the last six months or seven months said, okay, here's my calendar. Here's the races. And if it's a mountain bike race, I'm going to spend per. Most of my time on that bike before the event, and do workouts that affect that, but hopefully hold this fitness and just kind of change little bits to be ready for different things. Got a big climbing race in Utah? Okay, do some longer tre- threshold efforts. And then the minute Leadville, fin- like in Leadville, is obviously a big training camp just to be ready for altitude. And the yeah. minute Leadville finished, it was like okay, full on three to five minute efforts. Endurance doesn't matter anymore, and that's that is somewhat the beautiful thing. Is once you get through Unbound if you have like cycling such a build sport year after year that you can kind of hold endurance most of the year. I don't have to really yeah. focus on that during the week. And I can turn a lot of my rides into like, Hey, how hard can I go? Because that's what these races become. Like if we want to talk numbers, like schwamigan, the two hour mountain bike sprint we just did was like 330 normalized for two hours. Just like it was, it just on the whole day. And it's like something I dreamed of, but we haven't done it all year. It was
0: such a gear shift, just as a fan of the sport, to see everybody now have to do like a two-hour event. Like, what the hell?
1: I loved it. Yeah. And then just like not to jump away from the Grand Prix quickly, but I think that was something that's interesting about my background is there's a lot of really strong guys in the Grand Prix, guys that I thought were going to stick out and are probably are are coming around like Lachlan, Alex. I've had some, both of them have had some bad luck, but Rob Britton, even Dark Horse, in my opinion, Pete Stetna. You have a lot of guys that come from a road background and have this to do well at all these events. But I think moving two years earlier than a lot of those guys has made a difference for me because, dude, I struggle a lot with the technical side of the sport on the dirt because it's just different. On the road, you just expect you you find lines and that's it. And there's a flow to it. Mountain biking and gravel riding is a lot more like, you kind of like, hey, you're gonna slide sideways and you're gonna find your edge and then you're gonna keep moving. And it's so foreign. But I felt like I really struggled for the two years before this and kind of found my feet at the right time with the Grand Prix. People always act like, like for example, Leadville is a road race, mountain bike race. Dude, I disagree. Like if when you're going 35 down power line on a hardtail with, the, with guys that are pure mountain bikers, yeah. you have to be able to handle your bike.
0: For sure. Yeah. It, I mean, I, and it depends on the, the weather that particular year, the year yep. I did it, it was pouring with rain, which <sighs> took another different skill set. Yeah. I mean, people were just absolutely falling apart yep. during that event. Yeah. Speaking of, I mean, I guess since this is going to publish in early October, we've got one race remaining. Yep. You're in second place in the Grand Prix. Keegan's obviously been crushing it all year, but I think there are a couple people within range yeah. that if he had a, b- a horrible day, like something dr- drastic could happen in the results. Keegan's theoretically safe
1: now because he can drop a race and he's done so well. So Ke- Keegan has won the, gotcha. uh, won the Grand Prix now, About but second through, well, it's just because it's just because he can drop a race. So theoretically gotcha. he could not, he has to show up, but he he can have his worst result and his worst result right now is fourth, which is insane. His first result is fourth at Schwalm again after he crashed. So, if he drops big sugar and finishes 45th, it still yeah. doesn't matter because he has more points than I do right now. Got but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, big sugar being in Bentonville is like it's known for sharp rocks, right? It's a It's going to be kind of a race of attrition, put it all out there, but also be intelligent about it for me, I'm definitely going to err on the side of insurance, you know, like we talked about inserts a little bit, a little extra sealant, but I've never, I've tried to never go into any of these races thinking about the Grand Prix because if like, if you race to win, you'll be up there. I can't think about where Cole is or Pete or Russell, like doesn't help. I I enjoy racing my bike too. So I think, yeah, I mean, theoretically, all of them, I think up to seventh could theoretically pass me. I guess I haven't really done math because it's kind of hard. Like Cole didn't race Unbound, so he doesn't have a drop race. So like if he does worse than my 10th at Crusher, he can't beat me. But you know, it's, it's so it's really up in the air until you finish. And that's been cool about the point system in a way for me. Yeah. It's hard to say. I'm like for the first time this year, nervous because I've really tried to not think about the Grand Prix until this point, because it's just, it's so up in the air and you have one bad day. Like I pulled my front trailer cable out at Crusher, like so weird things can happen to anybody. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I will say that I'm happy that I was somewhat a mountain biker's turf in the mud for two hours in Wisconsin. And I, I fared. And so I think we're a little bit more to my benefit in Bentonville. Um, yeah, that it's, gives, it's, yeah.
0: it's got so many punchy climbs in addition yeah. to kind of the, the big potential rock hazards there. Yeah. It will be interesting from a racing perspective, like who's going to go all in early. Yeah. Does it stay together? Like, how are you going to turn the screws to each other? Yeah. I'm excited.
1: I'm stoked. I mean, I think it's, you're mainly going to see guys like Pete that is in fourth and Russell is in fifth try to make moves because like, at least until we get to the end, like racing wise to win the race, I have no reason to do much before then. But it's also easy to say till you get at that moment and it's pissing rain or something weird's happening and just becomes full on chaos for five hours. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's weird and everyone's taking different paths to get there too. You know, some guys are still on mountain bikes. I kind of came back and immediately started doing, you know, harder efforts to kind of get ready for a sprint finish and but yeah i mean like in the end yes i want to finish on the podium the grand prix but i kind of want to win big sugar like love keegan to death i would like him to not win another freaking race so (laughs) that that would be the the real goal on top cherry on top like finishing on the podium (laughs) grand prix is great but dude that kid's been dominant this year so yeah that's probably the biggest goal for me
0: and and best of luck to him this coming weekend in the world so it's just insane that he's on that team right now I just, yeah, I just, I
1: love that there is a transfer between gravel and road because you, you do have a lot of guys come over here that I think, think they, because they're really strong on the road, they could just jump in. Like you look at Nikki Terpstra at Leadville obviously he's at altitude, he's not used to it, but it's not the same. You got to be able to put the whole package together to do a lot of these races and to get through a whole season of it. And I think the Grand Prix has been the hardest in that sense, right? That it's pretty much one race a month and that possible to peak for six races every month. You kind of have yeah. to pick and choose or just be consistent. Yeah. And I think the only person to do it perfectly this year has been Keegan. And I guess perfection was lost at Schwalm again, but still, I I would still say he was perfect. We'll see. We'll see after yeah. Big Sugar, right? Yeah.
0: That's exciting. Well, I'm super excited to ra- watch that race, as I said, and hopefully I'm going to be there myself to watch the action firsthand, or at least from yeah. way, way behind you guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. It- it will be fun, and Bentonville puts on a, a puts on a party every time too, which I love. Right, just, they so much. It's all about cycling in that community right now, and I, every, it's intoxicating every time you go there.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I wanted to take a step back and talk about your other sort of big. I don't know if you call it your personal project, but it's. I think it's just <laughs> been a big part of your journey the last couple of years to Leadville, and the from from the ground up project. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think I'm really bad about just giving you a quick synopsis, so I'll start there. So from the ground up is. We take three riders who haven't been on a bike or haven't raced before to Leadville, the hardest mountain bike race in the nation, in my opinion. And the goal is just to make the sport less intimidating, more accessible through showing the questions and vulnerabilities of people who are going to struggle at the event, let alone the pros, because pros are stupid and don't show it, even though we all struggle. So it started in 2021 was the first season. We did the second season this year. I'm gonna say season, because it's a TV series on the back end, but it's really, it's this pathway of just learning how how hard cycling can be, whether it's lingo or training or getting into the sport financially. And it's it's been something that I've been super passionate about and takes a lot of my time from January to August, but it validates everything and the reason I left the road. It's something that like, it's easy to talk about making positive impacts on people, but also very, very difficult to do it while racing as a professional. And I, for the first two years, for 2018, 2019, I struggled with that. Like I would say it to companies and then you get to races and you're like, dude, I'm getting flogged as it is like, let alone trying to stand out here on my feet all day in the sun talking to people. And so it's been really cool to see like COVID brought this whole new wave of people into the sport. And then allowed this access to people that, you know, literally didn't get on their bike because of Lance or Greg, they got on their bike because their gym closed, they needed mental sanity. And that is a very different pathway than anything we'd ever seen before. You know, all of a sudden cycling was like a marathon. You know, it was, it was just to do it. It was just to accomplish something. And I think there was a little bit of a disconnect because of how elitist cycling can be that we struggled to inform people that, Hey, maybe Unbound isn't the best first race, you know, or, Hey, maybe you should figure out how to change a tube before you take on this gravel race. But in all reality, it still became this big question of how do we keep these people in the sport and make it Exciting. And that's what From the Ground Up has kind of been. You know, it's trying to show that normal, everyday people can take on the hardest thing in the world or the hardest thing in the cycling world, in my opinion, then go on. And, you know, even if they don't finish, they can go on and take on normal races and it's never going to feel very hard. Right. Because, yeah, you do the 100 at Unbound, it's hard, but it's not at 10,000 feet. It doesn't have 11,000 feet of climbing. It's not with descents. There's so much that, that grows. And I would equate finishing the Leadville 100 to. To doing an Iron Man, and we have multiple people on film being like, "Oh, I finished two Iron Mans, and this was way harder because it's just it's so mentally taxing. You know, it's a yep. lot of it is
0: mental, more than physical, and that's really hard. One hundred percent. Like my personal experience, there was, I was, I was about ready to quit. Yep. And honestly, like I think, had my wife been at the feed station before Columbine, yeah. I might have quit. But yep. I was like, well, I don't have a ride home, so I might as well continue going. And fortunately, and miraculously, by the time I came back down, I was feeling good. And I was like, yeah. I can make it home.
1: But that's how life is too, right? Like that's the coolest part of this is at the same time, I go and race my race. I don't know how they're doing. And at the, some point on Leadville, if you don't know, it's an out and back course. So I end up hopefully crossing them if their days are going all right. And that's just so cool to me, right? That you can have these people taking on something the first time, very much In the understanding of how impossible it is and still telling the that's motivating and inspiring, right? And like cycling is made for everybody of all sizes of all shapes of all anything you want to name it, right? But we don't show that we don't say it. it's very hard to talk about because it is primarily white is primarily male and you have to have money to be into it. And I think as that changes, we all Gain value. Like the sport is more important and it doesn't have to be about racing. You can be any type of rider, right? We have in our first season, Shauna, you know, she finished, she stopped Leadville, I think at the Twin Lakes aid station, was like, that's it. But, you know, went and took on like fat bike nationals in northern Wisconsin and like a different side of the sport. She's never want to race Leadville again, but bikes can be anything. You can go become a freaking bike commuter if you want. That's still the vehicle of the bicycle is the cool part of the project. Where can people watch the project? First season was on YouTube. The second season was on Outside, but it's not behind a paywall. So, yeah. And there will be a third season. I just, first, you heard it first here. But no, the hard part is not to cut you off. Like the hard part is figuring out how do you make it less overwhelming? Because every year you're like, wow, this is really sadistic. Why are we doing this to people? Yeah. Uh,
0: It's hard to imagine like someone... Not just off the couch, but just off the couch yeah. wanting to do Leadville. I mean, there's when they're submitting their application to you, they're submitting it to do Leadville. So at some level, they've decided they're willing to do it.
1: But they don't understand. That's the beautiful yeah. part of it, right? They don't yeah. have any idea. And there's this process of like growing up and six weeks out, we go to like a Leadville training camp and they get to feel the altitude for their first time and ride the course over three days. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. is, I cannot tell you how like just wide eyed. Like, what the f did I sign up for? And, yeah. but none of them quit because they've are they invested so much of their life for the last five <laughs> months into it. They're like, shit, I'm here as well.
0: The cards fall.
1: But yeah, I mean, that's definitely the balance side of it that I've enjoyed is being able to do something like that because you could never do that when you're racing on the road.
0: Yeah. It's a great, it's a great, I don't know, series, I think is yeah. the right word that you use. It's a great series. I watched it on outside TV and yeah. super you. powerful to... I mean, I'm, I'm always impressed when anybody takes on a journey that's bigger than themselves, whether it's a marathon or a gravel race or whatever it is, there's something absolutely admirable about mm-hmm. someone who's willing to tackle something like that, knowing that like we may finish, we may not, but yeah. I'm going to do something huge.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the takeaway, right? Is that hopefully like, there is a connection between cycling and life. And you know, yeah. we have those rolling hills, you come down Columbine and all of a sudden you feel okay again. And that's the reality of all of this. Like most of the days you train, you feel like shit. That is the majority of cycling. Yeah. Like even as a professional athlete, 99.9% of the time is just bullshit. Get out the door, maybe convince yourself to get a coffee and stop for a couple minutes, but like get the work done and move on because you don't yeah. feel great every day. And I think, I think that's someone said,
0: said, like, if you're not, if you're, if you're feeling good, better than 30% of the time, you're probably not training well. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's true, and that, but I think that's not because that's not what we, that's not what anyone shows on social media or anything else, right? It's always the good time. So, yeah, my advice: get yourself a wiener dog
0: and ride your bike. I love it, which is the perfect note to end on. Yeah, wiener dog promotion, which uh, by the way, I will have another one if I didn't already have two dogs. And that's a long story. We would have a wiener dog because that's my wife's jam right there. Yeah.
1: They're perfect. <laughs> they're the right, they're the right size. That's the, that's the true goal.
0: Yeah, my actual golden retriever does not get well on my back and in a backpack.
1: See, but that is like my goal after my after my career. Is I told my girlfriend I want to get a golden retriever, not another wiener. So I could just be like, oh, this one didn't grow.
0: I love it. I love yeah. it. Thanks so much for the time, man. It was great to catch up. Good luck at Big Sugar. Hopefully, I see you there. Yeah, and good luck sure. at Belgian Waffle Ride, in Michigan. I know that'll be a, a great one for you, being a yeah. Michigan guy.
1: No, thank you so much. It's, it's exciting. And yeah, just
0: hope the sport keeps growing. And thanks for talking through it. Of course. We'll see you, my man. See ya. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Huge thanks to Alexi for joining us. And big thanks to Athletic Greens and AG1 for sponsoring this week's episode. If you're interested in connecting with me, I encourage you to join the ridership. Simply visit www.theridership.com. That's a free global cycling community where you can connect with gravel athletes from around the world. It's also your straight line to having a conversation with me, Making episode suggestions, etc. If you're able to support the show, please visit buymecoffeecom the gravel ride, or ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. It really helps in me connecting with additional gravel cyclists. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.